Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning. Today is the day. It is Thursday, August 22nd. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, your host. Thank you for taking me along with you on whatever it is you are up to uh, on this good and glorious day. I do feel obligated to begin this morning uh, with a brief comment uh, about the president's recent uh, comments about Jews, Israel, and likening himself to the King of Israel and the second coming of God. Um it doesn't really matter what newspaper you might be uh, scanning the headlines of. This is in there. Uh, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, Vanity Fair. This one seems the most appropriate place for such a uh, <clears throat> comment about self to be covered. Vanity Fair. Um, let us be perfectly clear. To liken oneself or to allow oneself to be likened unto the King of Israel or the second coming of God. Um, I, I'm going to be perfectly clear. It's idolatry at best, it's blasphemy at worst, and it should be equally offensive to both Jews who don't acknowledge the first coming of God and therefore do not believe in a second coming, uh, and Christians who reserve both of those roles, the King of Israel and the God who has come and is coming again, for one and only one, namely Jesus. So, um, again, let me be perfectly clear. The world has a Messiah. His name is Jesus. and Although the Jews deny this truth, Israel has a king. He happens to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And again, his name is Jesus. The Bible teaches and history attests and Christians testify that Jesus came from the glory of heaven where he reigned in co-eternal sovereignty with the Father and the Spirit. He condescended to our reality in order that he might fulfill the plan of redemption for the Jews and by adoption and extension, the rest of us. So if ever, now hear me here, if ever anyone is so blasphemous as to suggest that you or anyone else is the second coming of God, the second coming of Christ, the Messiah of Israel or its king, I plead with you. That you not only deny the claim, but immediately point them insistently to Jesus. Uh, That's what Christians do. That is who we are. This is how we live in a world that is completely confused about love and leadership and lordship. We point people to Jesus. We do not allow people to point to us as if we are Jesus. So giving the president his due... Donald Trump is currently the president of the United States of America. All of those are term limited. Uh, Your life on earth is term limited. Uh, Serving in any particular role, including that of the president of the United States, is term limited. It is one nation. It is a nation that uh, has existed for a particular span of time in human history. And like every other nation, it will one day cease to be. Currently. 
right now, for a particular period of time, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. That means that right now, for this particular brief span of human history, he is, in fact, the most powerful man in the world. But he is yet a man. He is mortal. He is fallen. He is limited and just as much in need of salvation as all the rest of us. So is Jesus coming again? Yes. Is Donald Trump that guy? No. And we dare not suggest that he is. So today, when this comes up in conversation, and if it doesn't come up in conversation, you're obligated to bring it up in conversation. Take the opportunity to point people to Jesus. Tell them how and why Jesus is the King of Israel. Tell them how and why this great, terrifying good news that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. There's going to be a second coming of Israel's king and Israel's God, and his name is Jesus. We'll be right back. This is my right, a right given by God to live a free life. Welcome back. We're talking with Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer. That's how you can find him uh, on Twitter. You can also find him at the Acton Institute, at the Acton blog. That's Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. So, Ben, first of all, let's start with what is Title 10 and therefore what are Title 10 funds? And then uh, Planned Parenthood is apparently foregoing these Title 10 funds, which I have to say as a taxpayer kind of makes me happy. Makes me quite happy as well. Title 10 was uh, brought into uh, being in 1970 by President uh, Nixon. It funds family planning, which is primarily birth control. The act is formerly known as the Population Research and Voluntary Family Planning Programs. It has kind of an or- Orwellian ring to it in itself. But uh, every year it, uh, it gives $60 million a year to Planned Parenthood for family planning, birth control, contraception. It's about one out of every $5 that's spent by Title 10 going to Planned Parenthood. So Planned Parenthood has decided that it's not going to take these funds because the Trump administration has come up with uh, a program that uh, has been uh, on and off for federal funds, depending on which administration is in power, that anyone who receives federal funding cannot directly refer someone for an abortion. So if a woman says, I want to have an abortion, where can I have one? The person cannot say, particularly Planned Parenthood, go to our office next door or something like that. Uh, they can give them. They can still refer them to people who perform abortions, but they can't perfor- direct them directly to one person who performs abortions and say, and say this is someone who uh, who performs that. Uh, so, in other words, it's a way to keep taxpayers from funding and uh, facilitating the taking of innocent human life. Planned Parenthood has decided that uh, even though it's spent a decade branding itself as a women's health care organization and come up with slogans like "care no matter what." Really, abortion is what it's all about. So they're going to stop taking that money and stop performing those services so that they can focus on their biggest private sector moneymaker, which is abortion on demand. So just to be clear, Planned Parenthood, um, in order to keep performing abortions and continue referring women to themselves for abortions, um, they are going to forego $60 million in federal funding, taxpayer funding. Um, That makes me like happy on one level and then very distressed on another level because they can easily afford to do this because so many people uh, in the culture support Planned Parenthood. Is that the, I mean, the they're obviously doing a financial calculus here and saying there's more money for us in 
in abortions than there is in supporting um, women in terms of their actual family planning and birth control. Um, and it's worth it to us to forego the $60 million in federal funding because we got all this cash coming in uh, in, in pro-abortion advocacy. Well, there are a couple of things at work here. One of them is exactly the calculus that you're talking about. If you look at the uh, the actual services that they perform, they always emphasize that abortion is 3% of their services, which they get through some pretty unique mathematics. Uh, at one time, they pretended to offer mammograms, but they always emphasize the non-abortion uh, acts that they offer. In point of fact, all of those have been declining for at least a decade, and uh, only its service of abortion and its provision of uh, federally funded birth control have been on the rise. So... They've seen where their money is actually coming from in terms of, of the private sector. Second of all, this is $60 million, but they get half a billion dollars, $500 million a year from federal taxpayers. So even uh, when it comes to federal, uh, federal programs, this is a, a drop in a bucket. Uh, primarily, they get it from Medicaid and, and uh, other, other family planning services that pay for uh, their contraceptives. And uh, so, so this is this is a, 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 a something they've realized is something that they can afford to uh, to absorb. And then, third of all, they realize this is an election year. Uh, in about 18 months, they could be looking at a much different political situation. One of their partisans could be in. This rule could be removed, and they'll be able to receive those that funding stream all over again. All right, Ben. Um, when we talk about when we talk with you about um, about rights, one of the uh, one of the things that we celebrate here in the United States is the freedom of the press and sort of the, our freedom of expression um, and platforms upon which we freely express ourselves. The radio being one of those. Um, and so, you know, I guess just a positive shout out to the FCC for uh, the way they support radio, right? And and our ability to communicate with one another freely. Um, both Facebook and Twitter have now blocked accounts that are linked to the Chinese government because the Chinese government was seeking to use those platforms to spread fake news, right? So they're denying the freedom to their own people that they want for themselves in the use of these public platforms to to spread fake news about the Hong Kong protesters. What's going on here? Yeah, well, uh, you're right. China has a robust intelligence agency and a robust disinformation service. Uh, which most most nations do, but theirs is particularly uh, well evolved, and uh, it's very active in the West. Not only do they put out disinformation about what's happening uh, at home uh, throughout uh, the United States and Europe, but also they monitor the conversation very carefully, particularly for expats, but also for Chinese Americans, citizens uh, who are who are of Chinese descent. So it's very chilling. But uh, this this has been removed from from uh, Facebook and Twitter. Frankly, I think that uh, it's a good thing that uh, they've, they've cracked down on, on this particular uh, aspect. However, I think that uh, generally Facebook and Twitter need to make up their mind. Are they a platform or are they a publisher? If they're a platform, then everyone gets to disseminate news, whether it's true or false, and people a caveat uh, lector. You, you simply have to be careful about what you read and discern for yourself. If it's coming from a Chinese outlet, then uh, you have to realize uh, that uh, it may not be entirely above par. On the other hand, uh, if they're a publisher, then that subjects them to a whole different area of regulation. And uh, if they're able to do that with uh, something as egregious as the Chinese, they might also do it if they believe that you're spreading disinformation, say, about Planned Parenthood, because Planned Parenthood gives them an alternate narrative. All right. So I'm talking with Ben Johnson. You can check out what he is writing at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. He's going to continue this conversation after the break. We're going to talk about a, a case coming before the U.S. Supreme Court on October the 8th. And then I want to talk about a nudity debate in New Hampshire. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Mornings with Carmen. 
So we have a, uh, a case that uh, is going to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court on October the 8th. It is known as Harris Funeral Homes v. Uh, the EEOC and Amy Stevens, the Amy Stevens case. Um, ben, tell us, remind us what this case is about um, and then and then talk with us about the questions that are really um, being posed here to the Supreme Court. Well, the uh, Supreme Court case in question that you mentioned is going to come before the Supreme Court has already made its way through uh, several lower courts. It's about a funeral home that in 2006 hired at that time a man by the name of Anthony Stevens as an undertaker. He agreed to abide by the company's dress code, which is that they wear white shirts and dark suits if they are men. And in 2013, he announced that he is now going to identify as Amy Stevens and be dressing as a woman. Uh, This is a frontline job where he's interacting with grieving uh, individuals. And the owner is a Christian, formerly a Baptist deacon. He's on the board of the Detroit Salvation Army, Thomas Roast. And uh, he has said that in an affidavit, he would not uh, allow this to take place because uh, allowing a man to dress as a woman in his business would violate God's commandments. He said it would, quote, be directly involved in supporting the idea that sex is a changeable social construct rather than an immutable God-given gift. So uh, Stevens was fired from, uh, from this. He is suing. And in fact, the Obama administration uh, got in on the case. The uh, EEOC joined the lawsuit. Uh, as, it's made way, as it made its way through, saying that this was a violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, that it was sex discrimination. Uh, they were discriminating against Amy Stevens, uh, even though, uh, who is uh, a woman, because she doesn't look like other women. Uh, that was their idea of how they could get the 1964 Civil Rights Act to apply, because the 1964 Civil Rights Act, most pointedly, does not mention gender roles or gender identity. It covers race, sex, and religion. So that was that was the legal uh, fig leaf that they used. It's it was uh, laughed out of court in the first case at the federal level. However, a three court, uh, a three judge uh, panel of the appeals court uh, sided with uh, with Stevens. And so now it's going to the U.S. Supreme Court. It should be an open and shut case. The government can't just redefine words in law and make believe that uh, the law actually applies where it does not. Uh, under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act signed by Bill Clinton, the government has has to have a compelling government interest before it takes action uh, to force someone to violate their religious beliefs, and they have to use the least restrictive means possible. Enforcing a law that doesn't exist is not a compelling government interest. So when we talk about redefining words. We just had this conversation yesterday um, in terms of the government's absolute redefinition of what has always throughout all of human history been understood uh, to be marriage um, in the Obergefell case in 2015. And so when you say, um, hey, you know, the Supreme Court can't just uh, redefine something that has always been defined throughout all of the course of human history in one particular way, here I would be talking about what it means to be male and female, um, I will tell you that, you know, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that uh, the court can't just redefine a word that has been commonly understood to mean one thing throughout all of human history. Well, you're right. The court could certainly take it upon itself to say that uh, although this was not foreseen in 1964 when the law was passed uh, and there were precedents uh, that obviate in the other direction, they believe that the the people who uh, wrote this law got it wrong. And uh, there have been elements of judicial activism like that, particularly we were just discussing Roe versus Wade. Uh, one that's still standing to this day. What is really important here is whether or not we have a democracy 
whether we have a republic where the views of the citizens are are uh, really uh, upheld, or whether we are living in a kind of a legal oligarchy where five members of a court are allowed to rewrite the law together with the president of the United States. Uh, you know, James Madison wrote in Federalist uh, Number 47, the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. That was what we were uh, doing our best to overthrow when we declared ourselves uh, a representative democracy or, or a democratic republic. So the question is, who gets to make the law? Uh, I think that a law of that sort uh, has, has been introduced. It's, it's known as the Equality Act, which would amend the 1964 Civil Rights Act. If it's going to pass, then let it pass through democratic means. Uh, I think that it would be a, a, a wrong idea, it would be a bad idea, and would have harmful uh, after effects. But nonetheless, the law means what the law means. So someone does not simply get to rewrite it on the fly and impose it upon people against their will. Okay, so I'm going to make a quick pivot here. We only have a couple of minutes to cover this, but but I want you to weigh in on this because um, I, I respect your opinion, and sometimes there are headlines that I think to myself, I'm just going to have to raise that with Ben. Um, so I read uh, in uh, NBC News has covered it. I'm sure others have covered it as well. I'm reading their headline. Women ask Supreme Court to toss topless ban. Why are the rules different for men? Um, I won't tell you what the, the rallying cry is because I find it uh, offensive and won't say it on radio. Um, but there is this uh, there is this effort for women to um, go topless in public uh, as men go topless in public. So I want to know from the rights writer, is that a right? It is not a right. Now, it makes all the sense in the world uh, what they're talking about. If you believe that all perceived differences between the sexes are just enculturated meta narratives of oppression all legal differences are just misogyny, and that's the only reason that there is any different treatment between men and women. By that same reasoning, then men would be allowed to participate in female boxing. Uh, it's it's this mindset that comes to which is happening, outcomes. which yes, is ha- uh, right. It has okay. happened. That's right. Fallon Fox, uh, a transgender uh, male, has has been involved in MMA. Actually, broke an eye socket of uh, a woman that he was fighting, and that's supposed to be a big leap forward for civil rights, apparently. Yeah. So so you know, this is a mindset that leads to absurd outcomes that hurt women. And uh, really what, what this is about, this is about the government enforced destruction of innocence. Boys can't go to public places without seeing women who are naked. Little girls can't go to private places like locker rooms or restrooms without seeing male genitalia. This is the destruction of innocence. And we have we have laws against uh, gross imposition or against uh, uh, trying to contribute to the delinquency of a minor because we understand that Eros, sexual attraction, is an incredibly strong force and that people under a certain age, frankly, are not able to consent uh, to participate in it and that uh, if they are become involved in it too early, it can't have a destructive force on them and on all society. So let me just make an appeal um, to women who are listening, to parents who are listening, to people who are concerned about the welfare of children who are listening. Um, we have to be paying attention to what's happening in New Hampshire uh, in relationship to this one particular uh, very, very local law um, or ordinance because it's rising to the level uh, of a conversation across the culture. And so, you know, let us be mindful of what is happening in the culture and let us be people who are equipped to participate in those conversations in ways that honor Jesus. Ben Johnson, thank you as always for helping us do that. You guys can find Ben at the Acton blog at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Thank you, my friend. Thank you and God bless. You too. We'll be right back. 
All right, so we're going to change gears here, and we are going to uh, shift our focus from some of the uh, conversations happening here in the United States about whether or not women should be able to go topless in public. And we are going to now have conversations um, about the plight of Christians in Hong Kong and in China uh, writ large. We are going to talk with Kenya Bluey. He is uh, a faculty member at the at the China Graduate School of Theology. He is uh, a member of the World Reformed Fellowship. He uh, is engaged not only in evangelism but discipleship of Christians in China, uh, and he lives in Hong Kong. And he's going to give us a report from on the ground what the experience of Christians is. Uh, how the context has changed and how we as Christians in the United States of America can be praying for our brothers and sisters halfway around the world um, who are literally fighting the good fight today. We'll be right back. Do you ever find yourself window shopping, longing for that one item there in the window? Or maybe it's something in your online shopping cart that you can't stop thinking about. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. I think we've all been there. I know I have. Maybe you're daydreaming at work about that cute pair of shoes or a new phone with all the latest bells and whistles. There's really nothing wrong with wanting to improve your life and to enjoy the goodness of God's creation. But the trouble starts when you replace your love of God and people with the love of stuff. So how do you make sure this doesn't happen? Well, start by asking God how you can honor Him with your money. Consider how you can care for others instead of just thinking about yourself and give to make a difference. Spend time with your family and friends. Be grateful for all you do have. So, instead of filling your online shopping cart with more stuff, think about how you can fill someone else's cart. You'll find you live a more content, confident, and generous life. We have talked uh, over the past at least 11 weeks, maybe more now, um, about the situation in Hong Kong. We have talked about pro-democracy um, movement in uh, in that what I will describe as as a state. Right? It is uh, it is a semi-autonomous region of China, uh, in and so uh, we thought that it would be important to hear from a voice literally on the ground in Hong Kong. So Dr. Ken Yip Lui is an associate professor in theological studies at the China Graduate School of Theology, uh, came to know the Lord while pursuing his undergraduate studies at Queen's University in Canada, um, is a graduate of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, pastored in New York, started teaching at the China Graduate School of Theology in 2001. Then he went to Edinburgh for his doctoral studies he is uh, ordained by the First Baptist Church of Flushing, New York, and he serves as a member of the board of the Society for Truth and Light in Hong Kong. It's a Christian organization engaging in public advocacy of moral issues. He's also a voluntary pastor at the City One Baptist Church of Hong Kong. Dr. Kenyap Louie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you. Thank you for your introduction, too. Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, tell us about China as a gospel context, and your observations about how that has changed recently? Um, China has been, uh, as a situation of the church has been getting more difficult since Xi become the, uh, you may say, the chair of the country. I'm not exactly the translation in English. But anyway, so he, he has uh, 
tightened up a lot of the control of the government in uh, all aspects of life, including the church. So you would have heard of, you know, tearing down the cross. And now they're trying to uh, dictate in some sense, you know, what can be preached in the church and what cannot be preached. But this varies from province to province. So the, 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 the local situation can vary quite a lot. But in general, the control has been much tighter now. And specifically then in, in Hong Kong, uh, the experience there has changed uh, not only for Christians, but for everyone. Give us an update on uh, on what's happening in Hong Kong. Yeah, in the case of Hong Kong, we still have freedom. I mean, you can preach the gospel, you can uh, you can hold event, evangelical meeting anytime you like. But people are really afraid of uh, further tightening of freedom from mainland China. And that's why this uh, extradition law becomes such a controversy. Uh, simply put, the law just say that, you know, for crimes committed outside Hong Kong, the Hong Kong government can initiate a process that send the criminal back, including back to China. The people is afraid that uh, the Chinese government will use this law to bring people in Hong Kong, you know, people that Chinese government don't like, to bring them into China to face um, judgment there. And um, that may include, um, you know, Christians who are doing some ministry in China that, you know, the Chinese government don't like. So at this time, we, we still have freedom, but people are worried about how long the freedom will last. Now, we read, um, we read here in the United States about the role that Christians played in the initial protests in Hong Kong. Um, and, and so refresh our, our memories uh, in relationship to that. And then tell us what role Christians are playing today. Well, um, so the law, there was supposed to be a uh, meeting of the Legislative Council on July, no, sorry, not July, June 12th. So um, it, that morning before the Legislative Council was supposed to hold their session, of uh, some pastors and, you know, Christians, they gather outside the Legislative Council uh, to pray that day, you know, to pray that somehow a miracle will happen, that they won't pass that law. And a lot of people gathered uh, outside the Legislative Council that day. So it just happened at that time when the police come out, the pastors and some Christians, they are standing kind of between the police and the rest of the people, some of them, you know, very emotionally charged. So the Christian, the pastor starts singing hallelujah uh, to calm the situation. And so that become kind of, you know, the uh, at least at the initial yeah. stage of the movement, it become a kind of a signature song, you know. So people will sing hallelujah to the police while standing in front of the police. You know, there was a time when people will sing Hallelujah, for 24 hours, different people, of course, they would, you know, just stand in front of the police and sing for 24 hours, just that song and so on. Now, that part has, you know, passed away. Uh, the movement has become more more violent, you may say, than, than the situation in June. And right now, I guess the Christian now, kind of more more backseat, is not that front line now. Uh, some of our pastors, um, because a lot of the people who um, demonstrate on the street, a lot of them are actually Christians. 
So a lot of the youth ministers, the youth workers, we you know stand with the young people, even though sometimes we may not condone their violent acts. At least a bit of some of them is violent, uh, but we we want to stand with them. So a lot of them in the demonstration late at night, some of the ministers will will stay with those uh, young people, and I've been to a few of those nights. And sometimes the situation is very tense. And we also organize prayer meeting. We also organize some kind of session, debriefing session in the church and invite people to come to talk about their experience. And hopefully that will relieve some of the pressure inside the person. And we also also, you know, issue some joint statements uh, from different Christians, Christian organizations and so on. asking the government to respond to um, the uh, the demands of the people. So so we have some pastoral, pastoral work we are doing. We also do some advocacy work here. Again, I'm talking with uh, Dr. Ken Yip Lui from the China Graduate School of Theology in Hong Kong. He serves as a, a pastor as well as uh, an instructor of theology. Um, and, and we hear... Um, Miss, I know this is a little bit of a pivot away f- directly from Hong Kong, and maybe we can talk about this after we take a very brief break. Um, okay. We 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 hear stories of um, of pastors in mainland China um, being mm-hmm. arrested and being incarcerated, and I'm wondering if you can tell us a couple of those stories when we come back. Okay. Okay. So we're going to take a brief break, and then we will return to our conversation with Dr. Ken Yip Louie. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Talking today with Dr. Ken Yip Lui, who uh, serves in Hong Kong on the faculty of the China Graduate School of Theology. We are talking about uh, what Christians are experiencing uh, in Hong Kong and also uh, by extension in mainland China, which those experiences are different, but certainly related. Um, I'm wondering if you can, uh, we, we talked, I'm thinking this is like back in April, it's been several months ago, we talked about... Um, some pastors who were tried um, uh, under charges of being a public nuisance um, because of their participation in in pro-democracy efforts in Hong Kong. Um, I recall that they were sentenced. I also recall that one of them, uh, because of his age, uh, was not actually required to go to prison, but the other two were. I'm wondering if you can bring us up to date on those uh, on that particular story and and what's happening with those men. Oh, you must mean so-called the Occupy Central Free Leaders. Um, okay. Yeah, they, they are Hong Kong people. Uh, one of them is a law professor at Hong Kong U. He's kind of like the ring leader, you may say. And then another is a professor at Chinese U in uh, sociology. And they are, they are both, um, you know, yeah, they both both... Um, they are both condemned. They they were thrown in the mm. prison, but right now they are in the process of appealing. And the third guy is a pastor. He's the one that that kind of get a reprieve from the prison term because of his age. Um. So yeah, at this process, that that that's what's happening. The two the the two professors they are appealing their case. So uh, right now they can actually they they. they, they I think if I re- understand correctly, and it's Benny Tai, the law professor, has left the prison and right now he's staying home, waiting mm. for the appeal to see what happened. Yeah. 
Um, and then I know that I will mispronounce his name. Um, his mm. first name is John. Um, last name C A O. Okay, C A O. No, C O A. C A O. And um, okay. so we are following that story um, because uh, he is a Christian who is imprisoned in mainland China. Um, but I guess I just asked the broader question um, about the incarceration of Christians um, in China. I, I think it's really hard for people in America to understand what the reality is under under communist rule and under uh, under a government that not only denies God, but denies that people have the freedom to believe in God. Can you help us understand that context a little bit, what it's like to be a Christian there? Well, you you have to understand, I mean, in, in the Constitution, the Chinese Constitution, religion freedom is guaranteed. But in the in the the ideology of the Chinese government is that you know everything should serve the uh, purpose of the government, including religion. So from their perspective, religion is one of the social institution that that the government should direct to support the government. So um, so you can worship God in China, but they want to make sure whatever you preach should support the agenda of the government. So you you should, after you praise God, then you should also praise the Communist Party because you should say the uh, Communist Party is one of the instruments where God used to bless China. And so um, as a, if, you, if you're a minister in China, you really have to, you know, be really, you are in a delicate situation. I mean, there, there are things you... Cannot say uh, some some of the pastor Huang Yi, another a very famous pastor. You know, he he's from a reform background. He's he's very explicit about you know the Christian values should be implemented in the Chinese society so forth so on. So he's now he's been thrown into prison because he's so explicit with his his views. So um so in China, if you if you stay low key. If you don't step on some of the boundary, perhaps you have some kinds of freedom. But the problem is, of course, those boundaries are changing all the time, and it has been tightening in the last few years. So, in in in, for example, let's say um, the house church. We talk a lot about the house church. Um, in a way, almost all house church are not underground. I mean, the government know those house church. But in the past, if they don't make any trouble, create any trouble, they just leave it, you know, just exist, even though they are not really legal. What happened in the past few years is the Chinese government had been shutting down the large house church. Um, they just used some tactic to make the landlord refuse, you know, they threaten the landlord. So the landlord cannot, will not lease the, 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 the property to the church again and so forth and so on. So they've been, you know, uh, shutting down the last house church, but there are still uh, more so-called cell group. You know those cell group house church. They are still functioning at this point, and we don't know if there will be further um, suppression of those cell group. We don't know yet. So I guess in in China, you know, you just have to be flexible and pray that the freedom you have today, you still have it tomorrow. And when there is some breathing space, you just do your best to spread the gospel. And when you don't have that freedom, you just lay low and wait for the day when you have more freedom again. 
That's it. So also we talk about being thrown into prison. I guess if you are a house church leader, I guess no, not. I I I would say actually majority of them they are not thrown into prison because there's so many house church leaders. But I guess if you are one of the leader, this is something you have to prepare yourself to. I mean, it may or may not happen, but you better prepare yourself if you are pastor of a house church. And that's who you're training. I mean, and so I, you know, there's a part of me that, um, well, first of all, I want, I want you to express to all, uh, all of our listeners, how we as uh, Christians in, in America and, uh, and throughout North America um, can be praying how you would invite us to be praying for you and other Christians um, in a context that is so different than the context in which we live. Um, uh, for, so I want, I would love to know that. And then, um, and then how are you preparing these future pastors uh, to serve in a context where, well, it's very first century. It's a very first century. Yeah. Yeah. You are right. It's first, first century, yeah, almost like New Testament Christianity. Yeah, so, I mean, just pray like what Jesus has said, be uh, wise as a serpent, but, uh, you know, pure as a dove. Uh, we, we need to be wise. Uh, we, we don't want to, you know, confront the government unnecessarily. Uh, we, we, we do want to, you know, stay within the government regulations whenever it's possible, so, so as not to create unnecessary trouble for the church or for Christians. But we we also have to keep to our bottom line, you know, we, we cannot compromise our faith just for the sake of, you know, uh, getting the government off our back. You know, where, where is, you know, important true and false issues or right or wrong issues, where human dignity is concerned, you know, we, we have to stand firm. And if we have to face danger, then then we have to face it. So So just pray for us Christians so that we know when we can be so-called smart and, you know, compromise without compromising our faith. And when we know we, we just have to stand firm, okay, this is something we just cannot follow the government. Um, also pray for us to uh, keep our hope, you know, in God, um, because um, you particularly you look at the Hong Kong situation right now, you know, you have all those uh, demonstrations asking the so-called the five uh, requests or five demands. OK, I, I won't go into that now, but I, I think the government is not going to give in to those five demands, no matter how long we demonstrate. But even if the government won't yield, you know, we, we still need to keep hoping. We need to believe that. At some point, God will intervene, if not today, some other day, and somehow he will so-called vindicate uh, the truth, vindicate his kingdom, vindicate his children. And we just need to keep that hope always in our hearts and do not let despair or hatred, you know, conquer us. Because it's, it's in Hong Kong particularly right now, because I guess China, you know, the, the, the control, the suppression have been there for a long time. But. So Hong Kong, we have enjoyed a lot of freedom, but things are changing right now in front of our eyes, changing, I think, rapidly. And a lot of people are just filled with anger, and, and including Christians. And when we are angry, sometimes we do something, we look back and stupid, like some of the demonstration, as I said, has violent things in it. So just hope God can give us hope and courage instead of hatred and anger in our hearts. 
And um, yeah, and we, we like to give thanks also to sometimes the uh, American, the churches, or sometimes you know even American government voice some of the concern uh, for freedom in China or in Hong Kong. I think some form of international, uh, you know, voice or international support is helpful too. Though again, this is a delicate um, line to draw because mm-hmm. the standard. The standard Chinese government accusation is that, oh, we are in, you know, U.S. is behind all the demonstration in Hong Kong. You know, we are paid by the U.S. government to do the demonstration and so on. This is one of the way the Chinese government tried to, you know, uh, kind of deframe the, uh, all the um, fight, you, you may say freedom fighters in Hong Kong. Dr. Uh, Kenya Bluey, can we pray for you uh, today? Sure. Thanks very much for that. Yeah. Father, 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 we thank you so much um, uh, for Dr. Kenya Bluey. We thank you for uh, all of our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong and in China. We ask that they would be, in fact, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Give them discernment, give them hope, and let them know they are never, ever alone. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, sir, and we'll be right back. Okay. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.